Welcome to the Saving Grace Adventist Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the Word of God. And the title of the series that you've been having and that you will continue to have is The Cross Makes makes the difference yes and i say the cross makes everything different Hmm? the cross makes everything different right i mean everything um about jesus you know it's important and the cross is important because of jesus okay The cross is important because of Jesus. Jesus is not important because of the cross. It's Jesus that makes the cross important. Okay? So everything, everything in scripture is about Jesus. Make no mistake about it. From Genesis to Revelation, the whole purpose is to show you Jesus, who in turn is showing us the Father, his Father. And uh, so his birth, his sinless life is very important, very important, okay? His resurrection, the fact that he's alive right now, interceding on our behalf on the heavenly sanctuary, is very important. But, but at the center of his birth, his sinless life, and the resurrection, the reality that we have at the center of it is the cross. So the cross is central. The message of the cross is central. And the message of the cross, probably you have heard many times, is kind of, uh, it's kind of a contradiction. You know, no other universal religion preaches about a God that died on a cross. See, no other universal religion preaches that their God died on a cross as a criminal. It's embarrassing. No, no universal religion wants to, to, to show off that, to portray that. Only Christianity does that. Only Christianity. Because the cross is, is humiliating. The cross is embarrassing. The cross was designed for criminals. And that's where we Christians said that our God, our Savior, died on our behalf. I was at Andrews University, and a friend of mine, who also went to Montemorelos, he was pastoring in Jacksonville. He invited me to give a week of prayer, so I came to Jacksonville. And he said, you know, we went to school together. We're really good friends. And he said to me, you know, stay in my house. Yeah, sure. I had stayed at his house before. Now, this family, this pastoral family, Helm and his wife, they, they always have people living under the roof you know they like to help people they they always have people for a month two months you know so when i went this time and i saw this family i was not surprised you know there's another family living here they introduced them to me and the next morning uh, my friend likes to walk so he took me out to walk and and when we are walking i said to him uh, you know so so what's the deal with this guy, you know, I mentioned his name. What's the deal with him? And, and without losing a beat, you know, he, w- he kept walking. He said to me these words. He said, 
uh, oh, oh, him, he says, God is humiliating him, but he will be okay. Hmm. God is humiliating him, but he'll be okay. Now, I, I thought about that answer. I didn't ask, you know, to go deeper into it, but I thought about the answer. And when I flew back to Michigan, to Andrews, uh, a friend of mine went to pick me up to the airport in my car. You know, very good friend of mine, so he went in my car, picked me up. Now, this friend of mine is, is a scholar of the Old Testament, a uh, very bright man, and I respect him a lot. And he, w you know, I, I was driving my car now back home, but I said to him, listen, I, I need to ask you a question. I said, you know, since you, you are an expert of the Old Testament, you study a lot, I need to ask you a question. He says, yeah, go ahead. I said, in your studies, have you found this? Does God humble us or does God humiliate us? You see, there's a difference. We like to say that God humbles us, right? Because, you see, uh, to be humble is a good thing. If I say that Brother Rohan is a, is, a, is a humble man, that's good, right? That's good. And then he's no longer humble because he's feeling good about it, you see? <laughs> but, you see, humbleness is a good thing. It's kind of a very, uh, how would I say it? Uh, it's, it's, it's a clean word, you know? But humiliation, mm -mm, we don't like humiliation. We don't like to be humiliated, right? Hence my question to the scholar, right? I said, does God humble us or does God humiliate us? us? Because I said, listen, all my life I know that God humbles us, but I never thought that God humiliates. So what do you think? In your studies, have you ever found that God humiliates us? And he thought for a while, you know. He even said, oh, you're making me think. He thought for a while. And then after what seems to be probably five minutes, he said to me this. He says, you're asking the wrong question. Hmm. I said, how so? And he says, you're asking the wrong question because here you are, he says, Worry, you're so worried. Because I told him, you know, that I spent the whole week worried thinking about that statement. He said, here you are, so worried about finding out. You want to know if God humiliates you. And then he pronounced this statement that changed my life. He says, when the fact is that God humiliated himself in order to save you, no, you didn't, you didn't understand that. <laughs> you see, here you are, he says. You're worried. You want to know if God humiliates you. That's your worry. The fact is God humiliated himself in order to save you and me. I parked the car. I was driving, but I parked the car. Because there, you know, there are a lot of things that you can do while you're driving, but sometimes you cannot process certain things. So I parked the car and I said, can you run that by me again? You see, and that 
was the spark of the study that I want to share with you tonight, okay? The God of humiliation. You see, because when I went to the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, trying to understand humiliation, uh, I found that God talks a lot about humiliation, a lot, a lot. But it was surprising to me to find out that God identifies himself as the God of humiliation, okay? So let's go deep into it. The first thing that I want you to uh, go back to, yeah, the first thing that I want you to notice here is that the Hebrew word for humiliation is ani. Can you say that? Ani. Can you say it? Ani. Now, ani literally means poor. So it's a person that is poor. Okay? No, more than that. Including that. Doesn't have money. You know, it's poor. Like, how many of you have been ani? Let me see your hands. Ani. Yeah? You've been a knee? You've been a knee? Okay, the others have been rich. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, so let me, let me clarify to you what a knee means in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, a knee means, a poor person means, that you don't have a roof, okay? That you don't have clothes. You're naked. You see, in order to be a knee, you have to be naked. You don't have shoes, okay? You don't have shoes. No roof, no clothes, no bread. No food. And then Ani has a wife and children, and they're begging him to feed them. That's Ani. So how many of you have been Ani? That's right. Right? We, we have not been that Ani, right? But that's the meaning of that word Ani. So it's not surprising why God is always defending Ani. In the Bible, right? God always defends the poor. Let's go to the next slide. You see, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, it says, For the poor will never cease from being in the land. You see, this is a very interesting statement that you need to understand because uh, I, I always laugh when I hear world leaders, you know, presidents saying, I'm going to eradicate what? Poverty. Well, they're contradicting the word of God. Because the word of God says the poor will never cease from being in the land. In fact, Jesus himself said that too in the New Testament. You remember when, when they were complaining that this uh, so expensive perfume was being, the word, wasted. Remember that? What a waste. That money could have been used for the... You remember what Jesus said? The poor? You will always have the poor. You remember? So, so you see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament. Now, something very interesting, church, you need to know, is that God and the Bibles, they acknowledge that the poor will always be among us. And the responsibility to take care of the poor is never given to a government. In the scriptures, the responsibility to take care of Ani is given to the church. Now, think, think about that for a little bit. The responsibility to take care of the poor, wherever you are, is given always to the church. 
It's an opportunity to show grace. To show the love of God. To show the message of the gospel. That's why the poor will always be among us. And so, and so God makes provision. He says, for the poor will never cease from being in the land. Therefore, I command you. It's not a suggestion. He's commanding us. You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and needy in your land. You got to help them. You got to help them. You got to show compassion. You got to show mercy to the poor. Don't judge them. Don't criticize them. They're like that because they're, they're what? Lazy. Have you heard that? Have you said that? Don't answer. Don't say those things. You see, in Proverbs, it says that if you're lazy, you're not going to eat, right? It says if you're a hard worker, you're going to have bread, right? And then in Ecclesiastes, which is also a wisdom book, Ecclesiastes challenges conventional wisdom like Proverbs. In Ecclesiastes, the king says, oh, not true. He says, I've seen people that work hard and they live like beggars. And he says, and I've seen lazy people that live like kings. Right? The contradictions of life, right? Why? Because we live in a sinful world. So God has not put us in this land to criticize people. But to help them. To open our hands wide open. To help them. The most famous verse in the scriptures is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the, that he gave his, that whosoever believes in hell, believes in him, shall not what? Perish, but have what? But verse 17 is the punchline to John 3.16. Verse 17 is more powerful. You know what it says, right? For God did not send his son to what? To condemn, to judge the world. But to what? You see, and if God did not send his son to condemn the world, certainly God didn't send his church to condemn the world. But he sent his church to help the world. To show mercy. Let's go to the next uh, slides, please. Psalms 34, 6, it says, This poor man cried, and the Lord what? Heard and saved him out of all his trouble. You see, God is constantly looking out for a need. As I said, that was not surprising to me. I was like, okay, yeah, I have read this before. God is always saying protect. You know, like there is a, a proverb that said that if you give money to the poor, is as if you're lending money to God, and then he says, and God pays back. See, God pays back when you lend him money. So when you give to the poor, it's if, you, if you're lending money to God, and God will repay you. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Isaiah 49, 13, it says, Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy that word is ani, afflicted. On his ani. See, he says that God looks at somebody that is proud, arrogant. 
from the distance. But it says that he makes his home in the heart of a knee. He feels comfortable in the heart of a knee. But the proud and arrogant, he sees from the distance. That's what the Bible says. Let's go to the next slide. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, is a prophecy regarding the Messiah. It's a prophecy regarding Jesus. Okay? And everything is about Jesus. Amen? Everything is about Jesus. You know, one of the things I like about my church, Seventh-day Adventist Church, is that all its doctrines point to Jesus. All the doctrines, all all our beliefs point to Jesus. If there is a doctrine that doesn't lead you to Jesus, it's a useless doctrine. But all of our doctrine, Jesus. Amen? And so it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout out loud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. The king is coming. Come on. The king of the universe. There's no one like him. There is no one like him in the whole universe. He's coming. The king is coming. You can, you, you, you can feel the excitement. It's building. The king is coming. The king of the universe. Triumphant. It's building. And victorious is he. Humble. Again, you go to the Old Testament. And you can, you know, I, I, I used to preach. Um, I graduated in 95. I used to preach, you know, at the time that there were no cell phones and smartphones and internet. And you could say a lot of things and people will believe you. <laughs> but now I preach these things, you know, with young people. And you people look at it and then they say, yeah, it's true, Pastor. It says that. You know, they, they can check. So you can check it. The word, the word that is here for humble is ani. So, so in describing the king of the universe, it says that he is ani. He is the God of humiliation. And he's coming, riding, and you will think with all the description, the previous description, triumphant, victorious, the king, you will think he's coming, riding a stallion. But he's coming, riding on a donkey. You see, that's not an accident. That is designed that way. To teach us the greatest lesson, I believe, about the cross. See, in the New Testament, it says that when they came near the city, Jesus sent some of the disciples, right? And said, go into the town and you will find a donkey and it's cold. So the donkey that Jesus is riding is not the mother. It's the cold. Right? And then he says, bring it to me. And there's a miracle in itself right there in that description. But because the cold never leaves its mother. So how this cold left the mother? There's a miracle. And bring it to me. So nobody had ride, uh, ridden that donkey before. But the king did. The Ani king. And so when they're building, what's coming? Oh, the king. Who that victorious? What king? The king of the universe. The king. On a donkey? It's ridiculous. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. But your king and my king, your savior and my savior, 
came riding on a donkey. And his, his adjective that is used here is ani. He's the king of humiliation. Okay? Let's go to the next slide. Let's talk about his birth. Let's review this because you, some of you might not believe me that he's the king of humiliation, the God of humiliation. You remember his birth, right? You have read the story and also you have heard the story, right? So where was the king of the universe? There's no one like him in the whole universe. Where was he born? Hmm? In a stable, right? Most likely, it was not a stable made of wood like in the western. Most likely, it was a cave. Stables in the Holy Land uh, were caves. Okay? And let me ask you this. Why was he born in a stable? Why? Because there was no? And why was there no room? For that family? Because what? Because of the census? What about the census? Eh? Why was there no room for that family in the, ho in the inn, in the hotel, but they had to go to the stable? Because what? Too many people. That's the story we have heard, right? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Before I was a pastor... Pastor Harding, before I was a pastor, I used to work in the tourist area of field. In Mazatlan, that's a tourist city in Mexico, in the Pacific coast, Mazatlan. I used to work in public relations in a hotel. The hotel was called Luna Palace. Beautiful resort. And I remember one day in, in Eastern, during Semana Santa, uh, the, the, the general manager of the hotel came to the lobby where, you know, we had our public relations office and there were the uh, receptionists and bellboys. And he made an announcement. He said, ladies and gentlemen, we are full to our capacity. There's no more room. And we all, ah, God, yeah. Right? About three hours later, a dark, slim, tall, handsome man walk into the hotel, followed by a group of people. You call that an entourage. His name is Alejandro Fernandez. Very famous singer, pop singer. His dad was even more famous, Vicente Fernandez. But, you know, the son was young and handsome. Ladies went crazy as soon as they saw him walking into the hotel. Vicente Fernandez is here. Alejandro, I'm sorry, Fernandez. And all of a sudden, Alejandro was in the penthouse with those people. Hmm. Hmm. And, and I saw Mr. Camacho, the general manager, just said, uh, Mr. Camacho, uh, I'm sorry, but didn't you say that we were full, that there was no more room? And he said this, yes, but we're talking about this is Alejandro Fernandez. Come on. You know what he meant, right? If you have money, they will find a room for you. It's like that in Mexico, and it's like that in the state, and it's like that everywhere. If you have money, they find a room for you. 
You know why our king, our savior, was born in a stable? It's not because there was no room. It's because his parents were a knee. They didn't have money. They were poor people. And so the owner of the inn said, well, you know, there, there is a cave there where the animals live. And so among the smell of animals and the sweat of animals, that our king was born. Now, let me ask you, church, let me ask you this. Is that humility or is that humiliation? I would say that's humiliation. Kings are supposed to be born in palaces. Right? I mean, you're coming from England, right? You're more familiar with it than us. But when a member of the royalty, of the royal family is going to be born, they, they send out invitations, right? But not to common people. They don't send invitations to a taxi driver, you know, I mean, to celebrities and, right? People in government. When the king of the universe was going to be born, the invitations are sent to a group of shepherds. The worst of the worst. They didn't trust them. They were liars. They were thieves, drunkards. To a group of shepherds. Who is going to believe this? To shepherds. The angel says, the angels, they say, good tithing, right? Salvation to all humanity, right? And this will be the sign, he said. This will be, what was the sign? You will find the baby what? Rob what? You see, English is not my first language, as you probably deducted by now. We don't use that word, right? Swaddling? It's an old English word. You know what that means? They were... Strips of cloth. Strips of cloth. But also, not only, but also, they were used for little lambs. Okay? For baby lambs that were dedicated for sacrifice. You see, because they will cover them because lambs, you know, when they're baby, they can fold and break. And if they broke a leg, they could no longer be sacrificed because the sacrifices, the lamb had to be what? So they will cover them with those. They didn't cover babies with that. Hence, when the angel said, this will be the sign, you will find the baby. Huh? The shepherd said, yeah, we're familiar with that, but not, babies are not supposed to be wrapped like that. Only little lambs that are de dedicated for, oh, come on, come on, are you, are you following me? Are you ahead of me? Because they used to have those in certain stables. They used to have those pieces of cloth there in certain holes in the wall. Because that region, specifically that region, the lamps of that region were dedicated for sacrifice. So the sign is beyond our understanding because that baby was indeed the lamp of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
And from the beginning, there was a sign that he was being dedicated for the cross. And we're talking about the cross throughout this series. For the cross. For the cross. Let's continue. There was a story about Jesus that was very humiliating. It's the fact that a lot of people didn't know who his father was. Can you imagine when the mother, virgin, virgin, young lady, all of a sudden is pregnant, right? And they're asking, who's the dad? Who's the father? What was her answer? What was her answer? The Holy Spirit. Yeah. You laugh. Imagine in those days. It was also funny. Yeah, sure. The Holy Spirit. Okay. Right? Now I've heard it all. Right? And so, and so, and so this was, and White says in Desire of Edges, this was constantly thrown at Jesus. We don't know who your father is. Is that humiliating? We don't know who your father is. The implication is your mom. It's a common, right? We don't know who your father is. Humiliation. See, the reason I'm mentioning this is because once I preach a sermon and a lady said, Pastor, I, I got it. I got it, Pastor. Listen, I was humiliated back in 1984. And I said, no, sister, you don't got it. I said, you see, humiliation is not an incident in the life of Jesus. All his life was one of constant humiliation. From his birth, he was constantly humiliated. So, if we review his life, he said that Luke 9, he says, as they went along the way, a man said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have Holes and birds on the air of the air have what? Nests. But the Son of Man? Why? Ani. Ani. No house. No roof. He was always depending on others. Ani. Humiliation. You remember, probably you cannot see it, but that's the scene of him coming on a donkey. On a donkey. Go ahead. Now, we go to the upper room. Remember? It's near his death. Again, the scripture says that he sent his disciples, right? And he said, uh, You go into the city and you will see a man. You remember what Jesus said? You will see a man what? Carrying water. Now, this was unusual. This was out of the ordinary. Men did not carry water in those days. Who carried water in those days? Women did. Remember the Samaritan women? It says that she went at noon because she didn't want to what? To encounter the other women, right? So men didn't carry water. This, Jesus said, go, you will see a man carrying water. Go and what? Follow him. Follow him, right? And when he gets to his place, he will say, where is the room for the master? And he will point you, right? And so 
these disciples went there, I believe, to prepare everything. Correct? So that when the scripture says that Jesus came with the disciples, everything was what? Ready for the Last Supper. Part of the preparation was water that was usually sitting on a corner. Now, Jesus enters with the disciples. Can you imagine the scene? Have you ever been in a place where there is something that is very obvious, but you don't want to see it? Huh? Have you seen that? You see it, and you turn your head right away. Huh? You know it's there, but you don't want to see it. You saw it, but then you turn and you say, Ah, oh, I wonder, oh, there's a beautiful roof. Ah, oh, air conditioning. Come on. Ah, oh, okay. Because you don't want to see that, right? Because what's on that corner is very humiliating. It's water for somebody to wash the feet of the guest. Who did that work? Not just a servant. The lower, lowest of the servants. You see, they had some seniority. So, you know, the worst servant, he, he was the lowest one. He was the one that washed the, the, the feet. That's why they didn't want to even see it. So they went all to the table. And in that room, there was only one, may I remind you, that was royalty. Among them, only one. All of the other were fishermen and tax collectors. Only one was royalty, the king of the universe. He stood up and he went to the corner. He tied a towel around his waist and he carried the water. And one by one, he what? Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? You see, it's more than teaching. Because I can teach you something that I don't practice. I can teach you something that I don't believe. I can teach you how to be a vegetarian and I'm not a vegetarian. You see? Jesus is more than teaching. I've heard some preachers say, well, he is performing the role of a servant. I don't like that. Because performing for me is like acting. It's not acting. Brothers and sisters... He's being himself. When he went to his knees and, 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 and did the work of the worst of the servants, the lowest of the servants, when he did the work of a knee, he couldn't help but to do that because he was being himself. That's what God does. He's the God of humiliation. If he didn't do that, he will not be God. Are you following me? The God of humiliation. And so we go to the New Testament. You see, Paul, Paul is a pastor. Okay? He describes himself as a pastor. He has churches. He sent letters. He never called himself a theologian. He was a pastor. We call him a theologian, you know, because he is a theologian. He's responsible for most of the New Testament. Now watch this. All his theology, all of Paul's theology is based on the Old Testament because they didn't have the New Testament because, as I said, he is responsible for most of the New Testament. So all his theological thought 
and concept were drawn from the Old Testament. Okay? We're clear on that? So watch this. Now, in this passage, he wants to say something about the king of the universe. He wants to say something about Jesus, but he has a problem. It's a big problem. See, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the New Testament in Greek. And some of you that know more than one language know this. That there are certain words that don't have a direct translation. They don't have a direct translation into another language. For example, Marañón. How do you say Marañón in English? Eh? <laughs> well, you see, so the problem that Paul has is that there is no word in Greek for ani. There's no direct translation for ani. That's the problem. So, but he wants to declare to us that our Savior is ani, indeed. So he comes up with a, a concept, an expression that I want you to see. Okay? He says, let this mind be in you all. No exception. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Who? Being in the form of God, which in the original means being God himself in all its fullness. Being God. Did not consider equality with God something to be hold on to. I don't want to give this away. He didn't consider that. Instead, but this is the expression. This is where ani is supposed to go. But there is no word for ani in Greek. So he comes with this statement. But he emptied himself. He emptied himself. What does that mean? Taking upon himself the form of a servant. There you go. And was made in the likeness of men. Brothers and sisters... The creator became one of his creatures. Is that humbleness or humiliation? Because he didn't become one of his creatures like Adam. With all the weaknesses. The deprivation, you know, that this body has taken because of sin. And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the form of men, he what? That's the word. He humbled himself and became what? Obedient to death. But there's more. Because it's not any death. It's the death of the? The humiliating death. The death of a criminal. For you and for me. The one that has no sin. The one that never sinned. The one that lived a sinless life. Died the death of a criminal on the cross. May I remind you that probably you've heard this. That artist, they paint a little piece of cloth over him. But that those men were indeed crucified naked. Spectacle to everybody. Children and women will see them. Can you imagine? It's horrible. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. I'm going to finish with this. You see, we, all of us, 
all of us. We don't like humiliation, do we? You see, in English, there's an expression, a doormat, right? You're not going to treat me like a doormat, right? Can I ask you something? Think about the answer. Here's the question. Did Jesus allow himself to be treated as a doormat? I'm not saying if he was a doormat because he knew his identity and he knew he was not. But did he allow himself to be treated as a doormat? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. They pull his beard. You remember that? They hit him and prophesize, prophesy. Who hit you? They spit on his face. Humiliation. But we, we, you and I, have become so expert, we are experts, watch this, at not allowing anybody to humiliate us. We've been raised this way. We've been educated this way. Since we were children, somebody said to us, don't allow anybody to what? To humiliate you in school, at home. And we have become so expert, so good. We even say to people, don't talk to me that way. We say that. And so people do not talk to us that way. And sometimes we need to be talked that way. But people don't do it because we already told them not to. So something that is needed is not happening to us. Because we have become experts, experts at avoiding at all costs humiliation to the point that we don't even allow God to humiliate us. And that is the greatest tragedy in Christianity. Because what I want to tell you tonight is that God wants to humiliate you. And you will say, why, Pastor? And I will say, I'm glad you asked that question. Why does God want to humiliate you? It's very simple. Because he wants you to be like him. He wants you to be like him. Because you cannot be like him without humiliation. You see, because the description that, God, that the Bible gives of God is God is what? Love, right? And do you know, do you know that there is no such thing as love without humiliation? Do you know that? You see, the, the, the conception of love without humiliation is all Hollywood, Hollywood, California, not here, right? Hollywood movies, you know, oh, you know, and they live happily ever after. There's no such thing. When you decide to give your heart in love to somebody, somebody said, make, be certain of this, be sure of this. The object of your love will always humiliate you. Why are you looking at me like that, like if I'm lying? <laughs> Isn't it true that every time you decide to love somebody, that's somebody who is going to humiliate you? Am I speaking nonsense or is it true? You see, even that baby that you hold in your hand, you say, oh, this baby is so beautiful. So that baby will grow up and one day will tell you, I wish you were not my father. I don't love you. It doesn't matter who you give your heart to, that somebody is going to humiliate you. 
And some people, because of that, have gotten so tired of being humiliated that they have decided they will never love again. Right? Have you heard people that say like that? I will never love again. I have suffered enough. Can I ask you something? Did Jesus know before he came to earth to die for you and me that you and I were going to humiliate him? Did he know that? And he came nevertheless. Why? Because he's teaching us something. He's teaching us that even though love implies humiliation, love is the greatest force in this world. Love is worth it. That's what Jesus is teaching us. And so, brothers and sisters, if you have not allowed God to humiliate you, you're missing on something very important in your Christian experience. You're missing out. You see, it's like this. It's like this. It's when, like when God says, it's better to give than to what? You see, when, when, when people hear that, they say, no. You see, people contradict God. No, God, you're wrong. It's better to receive, right? I mean, you know, God said this. Listen. He says, how can I teach you this? God said, you see that feeling that you feel when somebody gives you a shirt for Christmas, for example, or for your birthday? You know that feeling when somebody gives you a gift, right? Thank you, right? It's a, it's a very exciting. Jesus said, that's nothing compared to what you're going to feel when you give something to somebody expecting nothing in return. When you give a sandwich, a subway to a homeless that will not even say thank you to you, you feel something. And God said, that's what I'm talking about. So these kind of things only work when you experience. When you experience it. And so God is telling you tonight, I want to humiliate you. Allow me to humiliate you. Don't fight him back. You know what is the wonderful thing that is going to happen? If you allow yourself to be humiliated by God, nobody, nobody, nobody can ever humiliate you again. They will attempt to it, but they will not succeed because you already allowed it, you allow yourself to be humiliated by God. You have to experience it. God has been waiting for you to open your heart and say, Lord, here I am. Give me the spirit of humiliation. And I want to invite you to sing that song again. We want to sing that song. What's the title of the song? I'm free. Because humiliation does that to us. It sets us free. Some of us have some chuckles of pride, you know? Some of us are prisoners of pride. And God says, I want to humiliate you so I can set you free. Nobody can humiliate you again. You will be indeed free when you allow God to do this in your life. If you want to pray that prayer with me, come up front. I want to pray that. This is not an easy prayer, I understand. In fact, I will even call it a dangerous prayer. Do you know there are dangerous prayers? I had finished preaching this sermon once, and we were singing, and an elder, first elder of a church, was standing right, and he said to me, without looking at me, he said, Pastor, does that mean that I have to allow myself to be humiliated by my wife? The answer is yes. 
Yes. If you want to be free indeed. If you want to be free indeed. Father in heaven, we want to ask your forgiveness. We've been fighting with you for so long, Lord. Oh, is this pride that we have in our hearts. It's part of our sinful nature, Lord. And then we open the Bible and we contemplate the king of the universe. And he called himself Ani, the God of humiliation. Oh, Lord, what a lesson. What a lesson to learn. You want us to be like you. That's why we call ourselves Christians. We want to be like Christ, we say. Well, here it is. Christ is the God of humiliation. We want to be like you, Lord. Help us, Lord. As the men said, help our unbelief. Take away the spirit of pride, Lord. Let our pride be Jesus Christ in our heart. Lord, nobody will humiliate us again. We're giving you green light, permission to humiliate us today. We surrender, Lord. We give up. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Thank you, Father. You always answer our prayers because we pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is working through this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email at podcast at savinggracesda.org. As the Holy Spirit impresses you, you may also support this ministry financially by visiting savinggracesda.org.